five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about RFM today. What's going on? Well, we ordered a gift online, and we really need to do something with it. I'm just not sure what. What is it? Well, just return it. Returning gifts is easier than ever with priority mail flat rate boxes from the Postal Service. If it fits, it ships anywhere in the country for a low flat rate. Plus, I can pick it up for free. Perfect, because we have to get that out of this house. Come on, it's not that big. Oh, yeah, that's got to go. Priority mail flat rate shipping starts at $4.95, only from the Postal Service. In the last couple of years, RFM has gone up worldwide. Uh, and, I mean, there was a big, this is back in 2004 over here, you know, but it hasn't gone away. And, in fact, it's it's uptrending the last two or three years. So there's there's big interest. And, and so I did a search on uh, whatever you search on, and I found two articles uh, that were within the past week, okay, a week or so. And... Um, and that's the way it is. I mean, there's literally, within the last year, there's literally dozens of articles explaining RFM. And so here's one, um, and sadly, I don't have the author in here, um, but I will reach out to the author. Uh, this one is, I think, on uh, LinkedIn. Analytics 8 is the company. And um, excellent article, Understanding RFM, the Key to Targeting High-Value Customers. High-Value Customers. And... Um, are you struggling to identify patterns and trends in your customers' buying behavior? Do you want to know which customers are the most valuable when it, and when they're losing interest? Okay, so in this blog, they explore RFM segmentation. Why do you segment your customers? Did my recent campaign improve customer loyalty? What are the highest value customers searching for on my site? When are customers losing interest? Which customers should be targeted with our next promotion. And so he says, RFM stands for recency, frequency, and monetary. When was the last time they purchased? In a given time frame, which could be a year, year to date, month to date, the past 12 months, or all time. How many orders did the customer, how many, how many orders did the customer place? Absolutely right. Monetary value, what's the financial value of this customer? And there's a lot of ways to think about that, okay? Uh, and one of the things I like about the more recent articles on RFM is that they don't slavishly follow what what was a definitive scoring method, and partly because it was the only one really out there um, that was discussed in the literature. Um, so you already have the data, you have quick implementation, and you have maximum customization. You can always change it, although most of those get sort of fixed over time, and sometimes they get cast in stone and, and really goof up a company. Um, and and um, the author identifies champions, hibernating, and promising. Okay, So these the recent they recently made a purchase but aren't as engaged as other buyers yet. Well, you don't know if they're engaged or not because time hasn't gone by to prove what they're doing. Uh, the hibernating used to be regulars, and these are your highest value customers. And so um, uh, the author comes up with these categories, but, you know, typically, you know, since RFM came out of the, the direct mail and especially the catalog industry, uh, typically, and, and it wasn't always that way either. Uh, I remember doing work for Gurney Seed and Nursery out in Yankton, um, and 
you know, they had all their, sh- they, they, they shipped their catalog. Anybody who ordered, uh, they, they, they recorded the, the address. I'm not sure how they add, they, how they did the addressing. I think that they just put the address in a computer and would just mail everybody every, each time. And we, we would see a lot of that. And, uh, I said, you know, you should really, do you have a record of the orders that people have placed? Well, we got these boxes and they had a wall of boxes of pieces of paper. And so, you know, back in the early 80s, we used to help people get those boxes keyed in to a computer so we could see who had bought twice and who had bought once and who had bought more than that. And that was a big deal because if you didn't want to market to everybody, you should definitely think about uh, who was the most valuable and who was maybe dead. Uh, literally dead sometimes it could be and so this is a good article because it gives you an idea of trends through time and that's one of the big values of rfm okay here's another article from drip.com which is a uh, which is an email marketing service whitney blankenship Um, and she starts out personalization holds the key to successful email marketing and if you've followed me a while, you know that I'm a very big skeptic of personalization. What does that mean? Does that mean putting your name in the subject line? Does it mean a special offer just for you? Does it mean retargeting because you looked at something online? You know, all of those things can be personalization. And that's part of the problem. And that's what we're going to get to at the end of the show. Okay, but let's march forward. Okay, not all personalization, good point, is equally valuable. I love this one. Sure, it might be kind of interesting to segment your audience by their dog's inside leg measurement. And, you know, we worked with dog groomers, and the the bigger your dog, the more you need a a lift table and some other of the, uh, the (laughs) you wouldn't believe all the stuff that could go into dog grooming. So this is an interesting, you know, there are, factors by size there's probably a correlation of dogs inside leg measurement with the amount of acreage you have or not right okay think about all this stuff when you're a data a crazy data person but anyway her point is it's probably not valuable probably won't translate into more email opens, click-throughs, and sales. And if that's your key, if you want it to translate to more sales, then you got to think about it. you got to narrow your scope. you got to get down into something that's going to get you more sales. Okay? Every e-commerce brand definitely wants to segment based on customers' buying behavior. Maybe they don't know how. That way they can share messaging Uh, and offer tailors and offers tailored to frequent buyers, high spenders, and recent purchases. That's where RFM analysis comes in, okay? We can segment your buyers. And uh, so, again, recency, frequency, monetary, and um, how frequently they buy, how much money they spend, and how recently they bought, okay? And... uh, She gives us a couple of ways of calculating these things. The the length of time since the customer's latest purchase. And uh, I did, um, American Science and Circuit Plus called me up. They were using a new version of the econometry system, which it was named something different later. And, And 
when they had recoded it to go on to Linux to move off the HP 3000, I think, which is like a machine from the 60s. Um, when they recoded it, the the the, uh, the uh, programmer, you know, the frequency, the more the more often somebody spends, the higher their score. Monetary, the more money they spend, the higher their score in generally. In recency, the more days or weeks since their purchase, the programmer made the score higher. So they thought they were pulling the most recent buyers and they were actually pulling the dead buyers from years and years and years ago who hadn't bought since. It almost put them out of business second or third time they did it. And they called us in and then we explained to them what had happened. Um, so these aren't trivial and they aren't obvious. And you better make sure that you get them right because you can put yourself out of business in a very short time. Um, and I'm trying to see. Whitney, Whitney says, you might need 12 months of transactions. We never use less than five years. N never, ever. <laughs> um, and some of our clients in the past have, have, have used recency scores out and, and, and regular mailings to 10-year-old buyers who hadn't bought since. And it had been mailed every six weeks for 10 years. So, so whatever that comes to. Uh, eight catalogs a year and times 10 years, 80 catalogs, and they hadn't bought. Okay, But, you know, it depends on your business. It was business to business, and one customer could be worth $40,000. So maybe it, made, it did make sense. It was a very profitable company, uh, very well run, sold for $80 million uh, or something like that. Okay, so um, different ways to score, and what is – what is – and, and – then she gets Whitney gets into a bunch of combinations, one one ones, which I like, which are the people who haven't bought lately, didn't spend much, and only bought once. Okay, and then she tells you what to do with these different scores. She doesn't really tell you how to score them, uh, so we're gonna. Okay, now we're gonna get into the meat and potatoes of this. You may go a little longer than usual, I have to say, because you never know with me. But let's get over to the presentation that I put together just ex just specially for today. Okay, and it's from some of my material that I've used over the years. Um, I've been working on a third edition of my book, and I've been trying to figure out, you know, a lot of the first edition was all about this machine learning stuff. And machine learning can be very, very valuable, but it's not the only thing that's, uh, that's valuable. Sometimes it was just walking around that helped customers. <laughs> Other times it was offers, products, and personalization. And sometimes it was new new markets, new customers, and new prospects, and you know whole new industries that could pop up out of what they were already doing. And um, oftentimes this led to this, and sometimes this led to that, and sometimes this just worked on its own. But they all interchangeably work. But I think um, actually you start with this and you go work your way down. Okay. And that's, and that's the way it is. Um, so I've done a lot of work and a lot of thought on RFM. And we've scored um, millions and millions and millions of, of customers and dozens and dozens of big direct mail clients. Um, and when we started, um, I was told, well, you make your customers into equal groups, and so on frequency, you'd have a you'd have a fifth of your customers that bought once, another fifth that bought once, another fifth that bought one, some once and some twice, 
um, and then more, and then really a lot more. And the problem with that is, is that if you if you work that out and look at how that how the the sales per customer, and this is from actual data, this is from actual customer data uh, that I that I uh, summarized. If you you if if you look at the top customers that have bought a lot of times, they contribute almost 60%. It was like 58.7% of the, all the sales life to date. The the fours, which are you know again based on frequency, or it could be on monetary even. Um, you know it doesn't matter. You get four nice equal groups. The fours contributed about 20%. The uh, the threes about 15%, these about 5%, and these actually were 2%. The ones, in spite of the fact that they were 20% of the of the customers, only contributed 2% of the sales. Okay, so that equal this equal groups thing is maybe not the best. And here's another portrayal of the same data, uh, where the where the fives have all the orders, sales, and margin of that company for the last few years. The fours are about equal in terms of the number of customers and the orders, sales, and margin. And um, the ones are, you know, they have, yeah, they have a few orders, but they don't have much in sales and margin. Okay? So that is a problem. Because here's where all your interesting data is. And here's where you got no sales. Um, so... We said, okay, well, maybe let's score them differently. And I think this is out of order. Let's score the ones, the one-time buyers, all with a one, the two-time buyers, all with a two. And then let's divvy up these by the number of orders they placed. And so the fives have bought, in this case, a third of the orders summed up. The fours, a third of the orders, and the threes, a third of the orders. And you get these wonderful little breaks. And there's a lot of ways. There, you know, we did algorithms mainly for speed. But what you get then is you get the customers, you get the really good customers that are contributing 20% of, this is for monetary actually, 20% of sales, is that, are they equal? They're not exactly equal, so it probably is frequency score. So here are the one-time buyers, and they're, and they're worth mm, 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 even breaks. Okay, we're, we're grouping the sales, which means if the sales are about equal, 20% of sales in each group, but you get almost 60% of the customers now have one score. Okay, does that make sense? And the best, best customers that actually produced um, probably 20% of the orders and a little higher percent of the sales, because oftentimes they buy bigger orders, uh, let's say 23% of the sales, um, those are only a couple of percent of the customers. Okay, and, and we found that that was really a a better illustration because you could focus more energy on the fives. And this is what David and I have been talking about as we go through. Um, okay, but what's another, but another issue is no matter what customers we've ever scored that way, we find that the vast majority of their file is one, one, ones, as Whitney mentioned. Okay. And, you know, you might get some, you might get some, uh, some two-time buyers or some who would spend a little money uh you know they're they're it doesn't they aren't all at the back but the the very best buyers are very 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 few so if you want to grow your company 
the very best buyers don't give you much count, okay? So if you're just working on emailing your best customers, there just aren't very many of them. Or you could start to try to figure out how to how to split up the one one ones, maybe by what they bought, maybe by the kind of neighborhood they live in, maybe by the number of times they visited your site. You can take a lot of data and find people inside of here, and that's why machine learning and uh, and AI can work wonders if you have enough customers. Okay, but if you market to them equally, which the e-commerce companies tend to do, uh, and even the catalog companies sometimes do you can easily have your marketing costs be very very low these are the this is the sales for those best customers five four three two one i'm sorry i have a b c d e i this is from an old old segmentation uh system that i built actually for one of my very first clients amico oil and uh you know, we did a bang-up job for that. But anyway, when we started looking at it, we saw that there were there were some customers that were worth very, very much money. But um, their marketing, which was kind of random <laughs> at the time, uh, we started by analyzing their sales force and found that there was no clear relationship between the number of sales calls made on a customer and the number and the amount of money they spent. <laughs> Just divvied up the territory. So anyway, so you got a very low marketing cost for these because there's a small number and a very, very high marketing cost for the one one ones. If you try to do anything to them, you can easily take up all your marketing budget, which generates a graph like this. Okay, so here we have the number of customers. We have those really good customers, and here we have the one one ones back here. And uh here we have the, the amount of sales, as we've already illustrated once we go to that sales-based, behavior-based modeling or scoring. And the, the danger is the percentage of marketing. Does the percentage of marketing follow the percentage of customers or does it follow the percentage of sales? And that's a lot of the magic. When I look back at that pyramid and I think about how have I really impacted the most customers, helped them dramatically grow sales or the number of customers or that sort of thing, it's by getting this marketing mix matrix in balance. What's our, wrong with RFM? Well, if you only focus on the best customers, it cuts circulation and kills growth. If, if, uh, you, if you try to break up the worst customers, then you need more data. You need to figure it out. You need probably an analytic system to make sense of it. So that's enough for today. We just just made it around 20 minutes, so that's about my goal every every day. So I hope you enjoyed that. I'm I'm thinking of putting together a special, probably one-hour session on RFM and the and the combination of RFM with the Pareto principle, because I've never seen it not be true. Never. You know, when I, when I started working with Amico Oil, I was told if you looked at the list data, all, all gas stations had eight employees or something. And I told the story the other day that Hal Burnett told me they just made that number up. They just said, well, all the, all the gas stations are the same. But when I actually looked at the data, those, those, uh, those truck stops on I-80 accounted for a lot of the purchases. <laughs> They pump a lot of gas, and they use a lot of tires, batteries, and accessories, which was the division of Amico I was working for.
So even in gas stations, the 80-20 holds. And the question is, are you tying your effort to the value and the potential of your customer segments? That's real personalization. And maybe we'll do a follow-up on this or that or that one or that one-hour special where we talk about the kind of offers that make sense. And the first probably principle will be don't just have one kind of customer contact method. Do better for your better customers. Have a great day. I hope this made you think. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.